Through its public health center, the Army keeps tabs on all of the factors that can affect the health of its forces as a whole. Its Health Promotion and Wellness Directorate focuses on the condition of individual soldiers, and it's been building out capacity to ensure that each occupant of a uniform is at his or her best. At the Association of the U.S. Army Conference, which concluded yesterday, I spoke with the Health Promotion and Wellness Director, Laura Mitvalski. The Army Public Health Center actually is, if you thought of the CDC, um, or the CDC for the Army, we always say. So you, everything from my directorate's health promotion and wellness, but it runs the gamut of occupational health, industrial hygiene, toxicology, lab. I mean, it's a whole huge center of about 600 people. So I'm here as a director for health promotion and wellness, just one of the directorates. Got it. Okay. And the Army Wellness Centers, yeah. those are pretty active places these days. They are. They are. So we have 35 centers across the Army, so in the Pacific over in Europe, and then, of course, across the continental United States. And we are calling them Army Wellness Centers slash Armed Forces Wellness Centers because as we transition to the Defense Health Agency, human physiology is human physiology, right? So whether you're a soldier, a uh, sailor, you know, Marine, or... Um, airman. Airman, thank you. <laughs> My son's an ROTC. Airman, that we can take care of all of those uh, those people who are struggling with weight, their run times, their, their, their PFT, you know, their AP. Uh, their, their physical fitness t- training and tobacco use, all of the things that deter you from having sure. being optimized. And does this occur throughout the soldier's life cycle as a soldier? That is to say they are inducted and then trained, presumably, and they come in with all sorts of states of big, small exactly, <laughs> issues. Right? But I imagine the wellness has to continue throughout the time they are a soldier after the initial training. Absolutely, there. absolutely. So we want to take people from the time they join the military because we're the military is just a microcosm of the nation, right? So everyone coming into the DOD, into the whatever service they choose, are coming in with all different kinds of backgrounds and different physical fitness levels. So in the Army, we take them from the beginning and we work with them all the way through. So wherever you go, it's kind of like the McWellness of, uh, of the Army, right? So wherever you go, you can pick up and get uh, those assessments. So if you're struggling with your weight when you're at Fort Bragg, we'll work with you and do a metabolic assessment on you. We can tell you within 25 calories, within a 24-hour period, how many calories your body needs to maintain weight, lose weight, or gain weight. So depending upon what your health and wellness goal is, we can give you an exact test that's based upon your physiology, and then coach you as to how you can work towards whatever that goal is. Same thing with running. If you're a slow runner, we'll put you on a a treadmill and do a VO2 max. And so then we'll say, okay, this is how you're going to improve your run time. So those are the kinds of things that we do in the center. Gee, I might want to drop in one on myself. You should come visit one. Absolutely. I'll be a guinea pig. Yeah, we have one. one at Fort Belvoir. It's not far. But does the history show that, say, someone comes into the Army as a first-time recruit, Mm -hmm. and they're fat, Mm -hmm. and the Army training gets that out of them, and they are, you know, a trim soldier at the end of basic training. But people tend to revert to whatever their metabolic DNA was in the beginning. So I imagine there's the follow-up is probably one of the most crucial things you do for people. Right. So it's not so much that they're... Their DNA, it's more just behavior, right? It's uh, modifiable risk factors. We have fast food everywhere. You know, how do you create? We don't have environments that support a healthy change, right? So it's very available, not during basic, but then as soon as you get out, all of that's available to you again. So the whole idea is how do you help people choose the healthy choices wherever they are and, and get upstream of the problems that before they even 
become a problem. That's really what this is all about is an upstream approach. It's a really good book by Dan Heath called Upstream. And so it's really getting upstream of the issues that we're seeing in the military and trying to prevent them before they happen. And how do you interact with the different commands and different structures in the Army that are dealing with the soldiers as their employees, so to speak. Right, right. So we have um, wellness centers, again, across the Army. So there's wellness centers within ForceCom, USERPAC, TRADOC, across across the whole Army. So we make sure what's really um, exciting about this program, because it's the same wherever you go, we have a very robust evaluation and monitoring process. So we can brief to commanders, you know, you send your soldiers to us and we're going to show you the impact of, um, of them coming to the center and show you how they've improved their, their performance and are more optimized. And by the way, how fast a mile should someone be able to run to be <laughs> it a depends fit soldier? On, it depends on your age. <laughs> so uh, not me. I'm not the runner. So, <laughs> Well, I used to be. So yeah. that's why I always ask that question. We're speaking with Laura Mitvalski. She's director for health promotions and wellness at the Army Public Health Center. And with respect to Army families, increasingly mm-hmm. this is being recognized as part of a soldier's total health system. Absolutely. And you've got a new report on family health. Tell us what the elements of family health are and what you found. Thank you so much for asking that. So right after this interview, we're going to be doing a panel um, and our report is called Optimizing the Health of the Army Family. So it's really a call to action. Um, We do a report which is called Health of the Force, which is really all around soldiers. If you went to the Army Public Health Center webpage, you could find it. We've been doing it every year, and it's really the health of the active duty population. So this is optimizing the health of the family member. And there's a great study out by OPA, OPA, Office of People Analytics, that says if you, um, the best predictor of whether a military member stays in the Army is if their, their spouse is satisfied with military life. So if you think about a family being... Um, happy with military life, that's directly correlated to readiness and retention of our active duty soldiers. So 51% of our active duty soldiers are married, right? So we want to make sure that we are also helping to optimize the health of our Army family as well. And there's a lot of elements, I imagine, that go into that because it can be stressful with the frequent moves to different locations. Absolutely. And the presence of children is a major factor, I imagine. Yes, all of those things. And that's exactly what this report is going to, sp- speaks to, is what do we know now about the health of the Army family and the stressors on PCS moves, the stressors, financial stress, the COVID-19 pandemic and what those stressors are on the Army family, uh, military spouse employment, all of those things. And there's many agencies within the Army that are working hard to, to improve that each and every day. And your assessment methodology is survey, or do you have other metrics? So what's really exciting about this report, similar to Health of the Force, is that RAND, OPA, Office of People Analytics, there's so many different researchers and evaluators that are doing studies, the uh, Millennium Cohort Study, but they're not all collaborative. consolidated into one single report, and that's what this is. So we're not doing surveys. We're actually pulling together 300 articles, um, peer-reviewed articles, looking at all the different data sources that are out there, and then putting that into one report so you could say, what do we need to do? And and we're providing some really actionable recommendations. So we're excited to tell the group about it. But you found that those studies included enough military families to be able to have a statistical base you can rely on. Yes. But that's a great point is that it's very hard still to have data around our military family. And one of the efforts that uh, Dr. Santo, one of my lead evaluators for this report (laughs) that we're waving at, is to see how can we work with agencies that are already doing surveys of our nation and then really 
carving out where our military families are and being able to get some of their, those demographics. So we can be, really have a good idea of what they need and so what you can is, target. And how healthy is the military family? Um, you know, we're a microcosm of the nation. I think people join the military because they want to be part of something bigger. They say it's a um, family affair. Usually if people that join the military have families who are in the military, so there's already a health focus there. So I think it's a, it's, um, it's a, a calling. So uh, if there are soldiers trying to be healthy, I think the family tries to be healthy as well, too. But again... There's issues. Yeah, because the environment needs to support that healthy change. And, like decent and housing. Housing. Schools. Schools, food, uh, healthy food choices. DECA's trying to put, you know, healthy grab-and-goes in their commissaries. AFES is trying to have bring healthy restaurants onto installation. So everyone is, again, realizing how important that environment piece is for healthy change. Well, a lot of these fake hamburgers are already army drab green, so maybe that'll help get those sold. And your top two recommendations? My top two recommendations are for the report, open the report. If you're, a, if you're a family member, we have recommendations for family members. If you're a policymaker, we have recommendations for policymakers. We have recommendations for researchers. So just read the report and take some of those actionable recommendations and put them into the work that you're doing. And then we can start to show our impact of, of improving. And in terms of the wellness centers, if you haven't been to a wellness center and you're a soldier or a family member who's struggling with weight or if you're struggling with runtime, if you're a tobacco user, if you, ha- if you feel you're under stress, we have specific assessments that we can do to help you and then coach you through how to improve in those areas. Laura Mitvalski is director of the Health Promotion and Wellness Directorate, part of the Army Public Health Center. Find this interview and a link to the report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? 
my style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, 
um, from C to C-suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.